Hi everyone, my name is Atisha. I'm in upstate New York and I am a marijuana addict, gratefully recovering. Um, I'm starting my time. And before I get into the entire story, I just need to take a moment to just ground myself and breathe because I am feeling nervous. And um, to also pray, Holy Spirit, higher power, please speak through me and please speak what needs to be said for those listening and for those that will listen in the future to this recording. Thank you for this opportunity. I am grateful. Oh, wow. All of a sudden, I'm feeling really emotional, um, having just said I am grateful. Yeah, I am grateful. I feel so, so grateful that the arms and the net of Marijuana Anonymous was formed and and ready to catch me when I came storming into these rooms. Um, I sent an email to someone on May 4th, 2020, and that email stated, I am having problems with my addiction. Could I please attend the meeting? And the person that responded was actually the person that invited me to speak tonight. And she said, sure. I could feel the warmth through her message. She said, sure. And she, you know, like reinforced the link, put the link in the email. And so my sober date is May 5th, 2020. That first meeting got me started on my recovery journey. I was so ready because I was disgusted and sick of my addiction. It's like my highest self was really trying to emerge. And my 25-year addiction had such a lock on me, had such a hold on me that I just couldn't do it on my own. And I didn't realize that I needed other other addicts, other recovering addicts to help me to finally recover. So I am grateful. Um, let me just say a little bit of what it was like. Um, so I mentioned the time frame. I've been, I was smoking for 25 years. I started, I picked up for the first time at 15 years old and basically stayed picking up for the most part for all of that time. As I was younger, I would have, you know, in my teens and early 20s, I would have a year or two or sometimes I even got to three years where I would put down, but I always ended up picking up again. Weed was like my best friend. It was like my lover. Weed was my sort of secret everything. If something would happen, I would turn to weed. If I was happy, I would turn to weed. You know, you know how the story goes. I'm also an artist. So very early on as a painter, as a teenager developing my craft, I would get high and just have, you know, an all night painting session. And it didn't help that that's what I saw you know, in like the movies and like, you know, it was the messaging of society. You know, artists sort of have like a green light to abuse and use, um, you know, 
for their art or whatever, right? That that be a so I I did as well I think as someone could do professionally um, with smoking all the time. I went on to get an MFA in studio art, smoking that entire time. Um, I I then uh, applied to a teaching job where I would I would be able to sort of put down during the day what I would pick up in the evening. Um, at some point that sort of flipped around and I found it necessary to smoke during the day and to come in to, and to teach high. And um, within the last five years, I would say, I really made an effort to stop smoking. Um, and, and that became a sort of groundhog day by itself. I would put it down. Maybe for a week or two, I would feel great. And then I would start to feel my feelings. And then I would pick up again. And I was stuck in that loop for so long. I, I, I can't even tell you. I, if I look back on journals now, I see where I would write, Oh, I've had a week or two weeks without smoking. I feel good. And then like two pages later, I would say, I picked up again and I feel so cloudy and why did I do this? I hate this. I hate this addiction. Why do I do this to myself? So I've been in the place of really struggling for a really, really long time. Um, I, w I will also say that <clears throat> a big part of my life this entire time has always been like my spirituality. And I've always had this desire to just go deeper with a higher power. I was raised as a Pentecostal Christian, but I was able to put that aside because that was abusive and traumatic and begin to sort of seek my own path and the path that felt right for me. So all along this time as I'm smoking, I'm also I'm also being earnest in in my grasping for, for God and grasping for meaning and grasping for deeper meaning within myself. Um I will say that uh, I I have four children. And I was also in a very difficult marriage. And I, I just want to say that weed actually helped me until it didn't help anymore. It helped until it, until it started to hurt. And with a hard marriage with four children, one of whom was desperately ill with a, with a rare kidney disease, I don't know if I would still be here if I didn't have the ability to, to kind of check out. So I, I just need to also say that I walk into recovery when the time was right. And I guess all of my desire to quit smoking was like the, the ground being prepared for my recovery. But recovery has taught me to not really listen too seriously to that thought or to that mind of regret, that voice of regret and rumination that wants to come back um, and wants to have me regret the past. You know, the promises say we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. And I remember hearing that for the first time and being like, wow, that would be a real, that would be a real miracle if that could happen for me. And I believe to a, a to a great degree it has happened. I don't regret um I don't regret that I didn't come into the rooms earlier. I came in exactly when I was supposed to. 
Um, so anyway, going back to what I was saying, I believe that my addiction gave me a quiet place in my mind, and it, and it was medicine um, until it turned into mayhem. And and it turned into mayhem, um, like I mentioned, like the last five to seven years um, of my addiction. I was so out of control, everyone. I started to grow weed in my house. I did not live far from a school. I had my four children. I had my full-time job. I was the breadwinner in my home. And yet, none of those facts kept me from doing something very illegal and from putting myself um, in the in the position of potentially going to prison. I was just so out of control with my disease and with my using. I would have friends hold my stash for me, and I would tell them, do not give it to me if I if I approach you. I'm sure some of this sounds familiar. And, of course, within a week, I would be begging them to give it to me. And, of course, because they have their own lives and they don't want to deal with my silliness, they will give it to me. Um, but that just shows you some of my desperation. Um, it was a lot of desperation, putting my even as a, as a young person in my teens, putting myself in in really dangerous situations to get weed. Like I, I I grew up in the hood, but the places that I would go to to score and to buy were just the scariest parts of my neighborhood. You know, behind a house in the dark of night. I am so lucky. I am so blessed that nothing ever happened to me. Um, I don't even quite know how that how that ended up happening, but I'm I'm grateful. That's another thing I'm grateful for. So um yeah, let me just fast forward now. May fifth, twenty twenty, I came into the room and I was actually twelve steps by my uncle, who has been in the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous as well as um he went, I don't know if he went to MA, but he went because he relapsed on weed and went back into the rooms. But I'll never forget this day. This is like a year before I came in and I was at my kid's baseball game and I said, I, I cannot stand this addiction anymore. I want to stop. And he said, well, you're going to have to get yourself in these rooms. And I'll just never forget just, it just rolled off his tongue so easily. And then he then he shared with me um, the basic text of Narcotics Anonymous, and I was eager to get that. But I just I didn't yet have the knowledge that I I can't get this through this head knowledge. It had to hit me through the heart. It had to hit me through connection with other people. Um, so it would be a whole other year until that May fifth, twenty twenty. But I I came in, and I I was shocked to hear people telling my story. I had always thought that it's like I was the only one in the world. I was always the only one walking around. This is my secret. Nobody else is just out of control with this. And I would hear all these people in all different kinds of professions, also a lot of teachers, talk about their lifelong struggles, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. <sighs> finding camaraderie and finding community 
and witnessing people's vulnerability and witnessing everyone having come to the end of their rope is what carried me. That's like, it's like, it's like a, a sort of like a, a, a vessel of community that has carried me this far. Um, this may will be four years that I've been clean and sober, completely clean and sober. I haven't had a drink. Um, I haven't had a smoke. I haven't had anything in all of that time. So my experience in the rooms has been incredible. It's been um, similar to, you know, being with a group of people. Like it, it, it's going to be a gathering of people and all that comes with that, you know. So, so there have been, there have been challenges. There have been times when I felt hurt, like, but I have been a student. I have been a student in these rooms and I've learned about myself and I've learned about my quickness to catch a resentment. And I've learned about the thing that I do, which is, which is what I call I cut and run. You know, I get what I need. I stay for a while. I start to feel resentful for whatever reason. And then my instinct is to cut and run. But I, I dare to say that this might be the first time in my life when I've voluntarily put myself in a community that I am not going to cut and run. And here's why. Because I can't. <laughs> I can't do that. If I am not smoking, which I have made a choice not to smoke, and I'm making that choice every day, if I am not smoking weed, then I need something else. And that, and that something else that I need is recovery. I need the community. I need the vulnerability. I need the people showing up every day for their own recovery and for others. I once heard someone say, weed did for me quickly what recovery and program does for me slowly. And so I have to put myself in a position to do what I need to do. I need to take the medicine of recovery every day. And that means that I need to go to a meeting as often as I can. Um, I do need to say that that is a lesson that I have, that I have recently relearned because um, life has been incredibly busy for me. I've moved across country twice in a year. And the voice in my head was telling me, you really need to focus on you and getting established and, and, and getting grounded and rooted again in your community. And I mistakenly let my meetings lapse a little. And I can just tell you that I have suffered because of that. I can tell you that without the outlet of just clearing the channel of what's going on in my life, sharing what's happening with me, showing up and listening to others, it, it all gets kind of backed up. You know, journaling, I have proven to myself, is, is not enough. It's a, it's a great thing to do, but it's not enough for me. Speaking to my, my therapist is not enough. I need whatever this mystical medicine of recovery and meetings, I need it. 
And I'm just really grateful to have had that reality sort of reinforced to me lately. Um, life keeps lifing, you know, and, and I've realized that, I've realized that without something to turn to as like literally this, this bubble or this like cloud of, of smoke around my head that buffered me from the world, um, I really, it's almost like my full-time job. Like I have a full-time job and this is my other full-time job. And that is taking care of myself, learning how to feel my feelings, um, being able to be in touch enough with myself to know, do I need to cry about something? Do I need to talk to somebody about something? Have I exercised? Am I hydrated? Am I rested? When I was smoking, I really couldn't pay any attention to any of those things. So not only was I an active addiction and just hiding out from the world in plain sight, but I was also not taking care of myself emotionally, physically, mentally. So now that I've gotten this huge distraction of my 25-year addiction out of the way, it's like I'm meeting myself for the first time. And, 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 I'm, and I'm able to, like, really care for myself <clears throat> because that's how I show up best in the world. Yeah, and there and there are these different facets, like I mentioned, physical, mental and emotional. And they and I I need to give attention and time to all of those aspects of myself. Um I have done service. You know, they say service keeps you sober. It just, it just roots me and grounds me deeper into my healing community. And I'll just sort of go back to what I said before about like my spirituality and always seeking a, a deeper connection with my higher power. You know, ultimately that, that is what I see recovery as. It is a, it's a spiritual program. You know, once I got the weed out of the way, then I was able to realize like, whoa, whoa. I actually really have an issue with living. That is my real issue. And I, and I, not only do I have an issue with living, but I don't have as much faith, relationship, trust in a higher power as much as I need to have for as chaotic as life can be. So pushing the distraction out of the way, pushing the addiction out of, out of the way, has helped me to sort of scrape and claw and pray and meditate my way into a conscious contact. And, and that is an ongoing, everyday, probably lifelong practice. Um, right now I'm doing something called A Course in Miracles. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of it, but A Course in Miracles is now it's going to be another branch of my, of my spiritual journey. And I, I remember opening up that book 10 years ago and just being like, I'm not ready for this. And now I, I feel absolutely ready. So not only do I have the big book, not only do I have Life with Hope, but I now have the time and the awareness to say I, I also need some of these other things to like get me deeper, ground me deeper into my, my spiritual practice. That same uncle that I mentioned 
that 12 step me. We were talking the other day and um, I was really candid with him and I told him that sometimes like sometimes that voice comes back and wants to try to convince me to pick up and causes and reminds me how much I miss smoking, right? Because it was it was a relationship. It wasn't just an, it wasn't just a thing that I did. It was a relationship. And he said something so profound. He said, you didn't quit smoking because you didn't like it. He said, you quit because it was killing you. And you weren't living your best life. And that was just like a, it was like cold water. <laughs> it was just like a, a splash of cold water. Yeah. I made a choice to put down something that, as much as it was killing me, and I knew it was killing me, that I was familiar with and that I actually liked and that I and that I could find some enjoyment in. And I made a choice to put that away and to stop to give my highest self a chance to flourish. Because I can't I can't get to the next level and still be doing the same old stuff that's kept me down for so long. And I and I really believe that my highest self was eager and, and crying out to get to that next level. And then I have a friend who I have inspired to to quit smoking. She doesn't come to meetings, but she's just quit on her own. And um, she said to me that she smoked because it helped her pain in her body, but she realized the toll that it was taking on her mind. And so she said, and this was just this past Sunday, um, that she chose her brain over her body. And that was another thing that was just so deep and profound to me. But the common denominator in what both of these people told me is, is that it was a choice. And, and I think that I just want to focus on that just for a little bit. <sighs> the power of choice. You know, I made a choice to click on that Zoom link and get into the meeting. I made a choice to come back and to come back to multiple meetings. I made choices to be of service. I make choices to meditate. I make choices maybe to sleep in and to not meditate. And I just want to say that when I hear these old timers that are so inspiring to me, and I hear them talk about what their lives are like now after 15, 20, 25 years of recovery. And I wonder how did they do it? It really comes down to having made the best possible choices in the moments of their lives. And for me, making those choices are not just like a, a cerebral thing or a logical thing, but I also have to make a, make the best choice to call in my higher power. And I have to also practice to make the choice to pause when I'm feeling agitated and to maybe sometimes just choose to be quiet or to walk away. And so I, I feel lucky that I, I sort of have the, a formula you know, it's like it's a formula, and the formula comes down to 
one day at a time, oftentimes one moment at a time, and making the best choice for that moment. Um, I'll give a quick example. Um, I was at work yesterday, and one of my colleagues had his email open on a, on a work computer. And I'm human, of course. I was tempted to go through and to search through some emails. But I'm just really grateful that I had the wherewithal and, and the state of mind and the desire to be in integrity to say, I'm not going to do that. And before I could even think about it any longer, before I could debate with myself whether I, I was going to do it, I just X'd out and there was no way for me to get back in. And that's recovery. That's recovery for me right now. You know, making decisions and choices that uh, that align with that higher that highest self that was wanting to come out and wanting me to put my addiction away to align with that person. Um, to not have to make an amends like that 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 follows me now. I don't want to have to make an amends because I wasn't in integrity. So what do I need to, what kind of choices do I need to make today? I need to make the daily choice to be in a meeting, and if not daily, often. I would really like to make the choice for myself to say the step one, two, three prayer, that I am powerless over not only marijuana, but difficult circumstances in my life. I am powerless over climate change. I am powerless over all of these things that make my life unmanageable. And to just go through that step one, two, three prayer on a, on a consistent basis because that helps me. I would like to make the choice to be more consistent in my meditation because that also helps me and that also quiets my mind. I, I think a reason why I picked up to begin with um, was that my mind is all over the place. And so now I need to choose something else. Um, I would like to make the choice to, to be in, um, have more of an exercise routine. I've been a little slack on that, and I know that I need that. I know that it makes a difference for me. And then finally, and I'm going to be wrapping up soon, I, I would like to make the choice to be um, more open and loving to myself first, but so that I can also be more open and loving to others because that also helps me. When I can see the oneness that I share with people around me as opposed to feeling separated and blocked and isolated, um, life doesn't feel so scary. The world doesn't feel so scary. Uh, so I'm really grateful that I made the choice to go into a Zoom meeting, that I'm making the choice to stay recovered and to stay sober. And I'm really grateful for this opportunity to have spoken. And I, I think that's all I got. Thank you.